Vineyard. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Adam Russell, and I am the pastor here. I'm glad you're with us this morning. Uh, everybody happy? Good, good. We had a lot of fun first service. It's quite eventful. Uh, I think this service is going to be fun and less eventful. Yeah, this is going to be the second week in a little, I guess you could call it a mini-series that we're doing here called Lecture and Lab. What we did last week and what we're going to do again this week is I'm going to talk just for a little bit this morning, probably for about 20 minutes, and then we're going to, we're going to do stuff uh, as a church. Um, we're going to engage and do the things that we actually talk about because one of the things we discovered last week is that the only way to really learn is by doing. Uh, we all agreed last week that there's a lot of ways to learn, but the very best way to learn is by doing. Do we still agree on that? Yeah. yeah. In, order, in order to learn, you, you have to put your hands to it. Uh, not only that, but one of the things we discovered last week is that learning is just another word for transformation. You could use the word transformation and learning almost interchangeably. And so when we're talking about learning, what we're really talking about is being formed or transformed in a brand new way and that's one of the reasons we want to put ourselves in that position here this morning at the vineyard because one of the things we want to do and if you're new here i just want to put this out for you uh, we want to be disciples of jesus another way to put that as uh, pastor ray would say is we want to be students of jesus we want to be learners we don't want to just believe things about jesus we want to do the stuff he actually did that's the point the point is not just believing a few ideas about jesus uh, demons in hell believe all kinds of stuff about Jesus that's actually orthodox and true. Believing things about Jesus is not salvation life. Doing what Jesus did is entering into salvation life. Does this make sense? How many of you understand that all the demons in hell believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was raised on the third day? Great. It does you no good. You're in hell. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, having, having orthodox beliefs are good. Having orthodox beliefs are good. But until you enter into the Jesus life, until you enter into the kingdom way, Paul would say, until you enter into salvation, it's just some ideas. Big deal. So that's what we want to do. We want this to be a safe place and a safe context for us to learn and to do some stuff so that we can be transformed. Is that all right? All right. I want to put a scripture up this morning. I'm going to put the one up from last week. Then we're going to add another scripture to it here in a minute. But this is 1 John, this is the very first chapter of 1 John, and the very first four verses. And I think this piece of scripture contains, in some ways, a template for what it means to be a disciple and enter into the Jesus way and enter into salvation in the most complete form. Here's what John says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Looked upon there means which we have studied. And we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son Jesus Christ and we are writing you these things so that our joy may be complete. All right, we'll just cut to the chase here. Part of what I see in these scriptures is what I would call a discipleship model for being a real student of Jesus. Look, watch this. 
John says, we heard some stuff, then we saw some stuff, then we studied that stuff, then we touched that stuff, and that's the stuff we proclaim. You all see that? What does it mean to be a student of Jesus? What it means is, it means to be a person who not only hears things about God's kingdom, who not only hears a few things about God, but is someone who sees some things, puts their hands to those things, and then shares based upon what they've heard, they've seen, and they've touched. One of the reasons that the church in America is so impotent is that there's a lot of proclamation that is divorced from seeing or touching. In America, the church is mostly a hearing church. Hearing is not enough. Listening is not enough. Listening is a doorway, but the doorway for every single person in this room is meant to be opened so that you could come in and see some things and lay your hands on things. Now, I would also like to say this. You have to understand that the guy who wrote this was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the first 12 disciples of Jesus. And when you read this scripture, the thing you need to keep in mind is that John had traveled with Jesus for three and a half years. How many of you understand that John had heard Jesus call him? Get out of the boat, son of Zebedee, come and follow me. He had heard a call. He had heard Jesus' message. He had heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The truth is, John had probably heard Jesus preach that same message over and over and over again. Jesus probably gave the same message over and over again. John heard him say, come follow me. And then, then John heard Jesus preach Sermon on the Mount. Some of you all have heard that it said, don't murder anyone. Well, here, I'm, I'm here to tell you, don't even be angry with people. John heard this stuff. But then, but then John saw Jesus do things. How many of y'all remember that time when Jesus, we even talked about it last week, when the guy with leprosy comes up to Jesus, which was breaking all the rules, and he says, I know you can heal me if you're willing, and Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. How many of y'all realize that John was there and he saw it? Leprosy is something you can see. Sees that guy get cleansed white as snow. How many of you know that if you had heard Jesus' teaching and you had been in the room when Jesus cleansed leprosy guy, that would change you? But the change goes deeper because Jesus invites John and all those other disciples in and every single one of them have their hands put to the work that Jesus does. So on one occasion, they run out of food and Jesus had been preaching for a while and the disciples say, hey, you should let these guys go because... They're hungry and they might pass out on the way home. And Jesus looks at them and says, you guys give them something to eat. And they're thinking, what, us? And by the way, Jesus is not joking. He really didn't mean for them to give them something to eat. And finally he says, okay, forget it. Have them sit down in groups. So everyone sits down. Jesus says, well, what do you got? And they said, well, we've got a couple of fish and a few loaves. And Jesus says, well, hand them to me. And he prays a little prayer of thanksgiving and he breaks them and he starts handing them out. But he makes the disciples hand them out. So the guys who had nothing... They start handing out nothing, and by the time the parable is over, it's a lived out and acted out parable, but by the time that this moment is over, every disciple who had nothing had to hold 12 baskets full of nothing and go home. Right? How many of you understand that's touching it? We could talk about this on and on again. They heard, they saw, and then they come into touching the very work, the very things that Jesus does, the very essence of who he is they they touch it then there's this really great encounter at the end of the gospel of john 
Jesus has been crucified, dead, buried, and raised up. And one of the disciples says, yeah, I'm not believing the resurrection until I can put my hand in his side and touch the hands. How many of you know that when John wrote this down, he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking about Thomas. It's in there. We've seen this stuff, we've heard it, and we've put our hands on it. We've put our hands on it up to and including, we have put our hands in his side. We have felt his scars. Even this guy right here who says we have touched him is the very guy in every Last Supper painting. He's the guy who's laying his head on Jesus' chest. How many of you know if you spent three and a half years laying your head on Jesus' chest and putting your hands to the work that he does, it would change you? This is what it means. What this means is if you want to be a Christian, like a real Christian. And by the way, there is no division. Some of us think, well, you can be a Christian and then some people are disciples. No, there is no distinction. If you want to be a real Christian, a real disciple, it means being someone who has heard, who has seen, who has laid their hands on and becomes a proclaimer. And by the way, this word proclamation here, it's more than just a message. The idea that John is communicating here is this. It's the idea of becoming a distributor of what you have received. Everything you've heard, everything you've seen, everything you've touched, now turn around and give it away. We see this in the Gospels, and we also see it in the book of Acts. Every single thing that Jesus did are the very things that Jesus' most intimate followers also did. Jesus healed the sick. Peter healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. Peter and Paul raised the dead. Jesus walks through walls. Somehow Peter's busting out of prison with angelic help. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Someone who has heard something, someone who has seen something, someone who has touched something. Now give that away. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, freely you've received, now freely give that away. Translation is, you can only give away what you've received. So the question this morning is, church, what have you received? My dream, my dream for this church is that we would become a hearing, seeing, touching, proclaiming church. Every single person. Every single person. See, here's one of the, one of the things we have to swim against. One of the ways in which we have to be countercultural. One of the things that's sort of like a high value in our culture is the value of experience. And part of what I'm talking about this morning is experience. Experience is a high value in our culture. Uh, People want experiences. Uh, The truth is, you and I won't even go and shop at a place that's boring. We will only go and shop at places that give us an experience. You know what I mean? We want experience. The, The trouble is that you and I have... We have been so formed and so shaped by the gods of the age that we define experience mostly as a couple talented dudes do the good stuff and everyone else is a spectator. I would like to be entertained. No, there's nothing wrong with inherent, there's nothing inherently wrong with entertainment in and of itself, but as it becomes pervasive in a culture, part of what it does, especially in church contexts, is it disengages you and I from hearing, seeing, touching, and proclaiming, and what we want is we want to arrange ourselves in ways that we can have meaningful experiences, but ultimately don't move us past spectatorship. Does this make sense? So, for instance, even this last week, I went to a concert in I went to a concert in Nashville 
and uh, got to see a great show at the Ryman. And if you've never been to see a show at the Ryman, I highly suggest that you do. It's an amazing thing. Uh, it was so fun. But at the end of the night, when we were coming home, at the end of the night, here's what happened. Five guys got up and rocked out, and 25 people stood and watched. That will not change the world. I feel like part of what God wants to do is he wants to bring us into experience where we do not where we do not remain satisfied with being disengaged spectators and we become participants with the very things that he's doing. This is what it means to be a disciple. Jesus ministered to the crowds, but he gave himself to the handful, to the 12. That's the real stuff. And by the way, that's us. All right, I want to move on here real quickly to the second scripture. And I'm going to use this scripture this morning merely as a backdrop for some of the stuff we're going to do. I'm almost going to teach on this almost zero. We're going to do some stuff this morning without even being taught. Is that okay? Here's what I found. Sometimes when you, when you teach on some things, uh, all it does is it causes us to become overly potty trained and overly concerned about the rules, and it disallows us to in, enter in. We're like, well, where do I pee? I want to read you another scripture. This is in the larger context of something that Paul is saying. He starts in 1 Corinthians 12, and he goes all the way to the end of 1 Corinthians 14, and this is his discussion on spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about one thing in particular. When the whole church gets together like this, Paul is talking about two things together. He's saying, when the whole church gets together, it would be best if we prophesied rather than spoke in tongues. This is, this is the theme, and I just want to read a few verses. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, because no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation, for their comfort. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. What we're going to talk about this morning, just for a few minutes, is we're going to talk about prophetic ministry, and then we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 14, he is outlining really quickly what is, what is best when the church gets together. And one of the things that he says is the best when the church gets together is it is awesome if there would be revelatory prophetic gifts put on display in front of everyone. Why? It builds up the church. And he says, he says this is better than tongues. Notice that he doesn't say that tongues are no good. Uh, some of us are like, maybe come from a tradition where you're like, I don't know about speaking in tongues. Well, let me just, let me just say this right up front. Speaking in tongues is good, and if you don't, I recommend it. Uh, and if you don't understand how to do that, or you would like to come up after some service, we'll pray for you. It's really not a big deal. You can enter in. It's one of the ways that you build up your inner man. Uh, you can be free from stuff that you can't get free from any other way than by speaking in tongues. It's a gift from the Father. We should love and cherish it. However, when we get together, what we need is not mysterious languages. What we need is prophetic insight and revelation so that people can love God and know who they are. Okay? Now, as soon as I start talking about prophetic ministry, depending on what your church background is, or depending upon, maybe you didn't even go to church, uh, some people start thinking all kinds of wild things. Some people hear prophetic ministry, and what they, what they hear in their mind is, like Old Testament bearded angry prophets who tell everyone they, they stink and, and God's going to kill you. Am I, am I right? 
I think that, I think that's accurate. Uh, s- some other people in the room, when they hear me say the word prophecy or prophetic ministry, they begin to think of uh, fortune tellers. Uh, there used to be those commercials for you could call the the woman Miss Cleo. You know, you know that's what some of us think. That's what some of us think. Uh, others of us think. Others of us think apocalyptic end of the world scenarios where where some guy gets up and puts out a map and talks about, well, this is the beast, and he's going to come out of the ocean, and everyone's going to get a mark on their forehead, and then there's going to be, there's going to be like fire, and we're all going to die, and, and the 144,000 will somehow make it through, and that's it. Did any of y'all grow up in a church like that? Yep. I, they're here. I'm telling you, everywhere I go, when I talk, start talking about prophecy, some people are like, oh, you mean the maps? No. In fact... <laughs> Uh, let me just say this about the maps. Anytime you see a dude bring out a map, get up and leave. That is just some really great advice from Pastor Adam. You can take that to the bank. There's not a map in the world that's going to do you any good. Here's what's going to do you good. Love Jesus. Lean into him. Okay. All right. So if we're not talking about apocalyptic end times maps where a beast comes out and eats us with a credit card... And if we're not, ta- I don't know. And if we're not talking about angry Old Testament prophets who tell everybody they stink and they're all, they're all going to die, and if we're not talking about fortune tellers like Miss Cleo, what are we talking about when we talk about prophetic gifts being put on display in a church meeting? Well, Paul says it, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse three. Look at that. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. What is New Testament prophecy? It is. Building people up, it is encouraging people, and it is comforting people, not merely with a human perspective, but listening for God's perspective and delivering to them something that's encouraging, life-giving, life-giving and, 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 and just feels good, right? It is not exposing sin. It is not telling someone to get in line. It's not telling someone to move across the, the nation. It's not telling someone you should be here and you should be there. And I, I know this because God said. It's not that kind of manipulation. It is simply listening for God, listening for the Holy Spirit, and beginning to speak to one, not just on their outward appearance, but by what the Spirit says, by God's opinion of them. Does that make sense? That's what it is. And by the way, this is essential. This isn't, this isn't something that you can just go like, well, okay, whatever. It's not, this is not optional stuff. This is essential Jesus stuff. This is essential church stuff. Why? Because the truth is, you and I will never know who we really, really are, what we're really called to, and our purpose in God and in life, unless we tell you. Unless we tell you. Now, God is going to tell you some stuff. You're going to read the scripture and you're going to get some stuff. You're going to pray and you're going to feel the witness of the Holy Spirit and you're going to have dreams and all these things are going to happen. But until the church affirms and confirms who God is for you and what God is doing, you will largely not know who you are. And until you know who you are, you will not do the thing you're called to do. Overcomers are always people the church 360 degrees has affirmed and confirmed, not just in the natural, but prophetically. Does this make sense? I'll give you an example. Uh, this is something that happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school, and this actually happened outside of church. Not a great example, but it kind of is. Hang with me. 
When I was growing up, I was profoundly afraid to speak in public. I was profoundly afraid to speak in public. And when I was in eighth grade, I couldn't really get it out. When I was in eighth grade, I got up in class because I had to do an oral presentation. And in front of my 30 classmates, I bawled like a little baby. After that episode, I had less friends. It's like, let's don't hang out with him. He's weak. Now, the especially traumatic part of that wasn't just that I had this gripping fear of public speaking, but the especially disappointing part was from the time I was about five, I just knew that I knew that I knew I was supposed to be a pastor. Put those two together, and there's just a tremendous amount of emotional and psychological dissonance. You know what I mean? It's like, oh. And then when I'm eighth, in eighth grade, I, just, I, I don't just fail. I mean, I miserably, miserably fail. And in that moment, a, a kind of shame came on me that I don't know how to describe. I don't even know where it came from. Uh, my, my teacher wasn't even a mean person. She was a very kind lady and tried to help me, and she couldn't. God bless her. Anyhow. Two years later, I'm a sophomore, and I'm in a history class, and I have to give an oral presentation, and I fret over this for weeks. And on the day that it's my turn, I get up, and for the first three minutes, I remember standing behind that podium, I was gripping the sides like this, and I'm just sort of staring in the back at no one, and I'm not really doing a great job. In fact, I'm doing a really bad job, but somewhere after about three minutes into my 15-minute presentation, it was like everything just got lubricated and I could say stuff and I began to talk and then I found my rhythm and after I found my rhythm, I found, I don't know, I found some authority. I don't know how to describe it, but I found my, I found my, I found my place and I finished this 15-minute presentation and even while I'm giving it, I, I'm starting to feel different on the inside. I feel life. I feel like, okay, I'm leaning into something here and I can't articulate it other than, I'm like, okay, I'm surprising myself. You ever done something and while you're doing it, you're surprising yourself? Like, this is going really good. (laughs) Started off rough. I finished strong. And on my way to my desk, I put my stuff down, and on my way to my desk, my teacher stops me, and she says to me, she says, Adam, you'll either be a preacher or a politician because you were called and you were put on this earth to speak. You're an orator. Boom. Changed my life. When she said that, I felt something. I felt something physically come on me, and it's something that came on me and never went away. What happened? Well, here, here let me just tell you what happened. She prophesied to me. She didn't know she was prophesying. I didn't know she was prophesying. In the moment, I couldn't articulate it like that. I can only articulate it like that by looking back. Oftentimes, we only make sense of life by looking back. You, You rarely understand it in the moment. But she prophesied to me. And she prophesied to me exactly by 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. She gave me courage. She gave me courage. Courage is is something that you can give people. That's what the word encourage means. It means give courage to people. And here's why prophetic ministry is so important. Because until we tell you who you are, you won't do the thing that you're called to do. You won't even know who you are, and you probably won't have the courage to go and do the thing that you're actually called to do. 
People have callings. People have purpose. People have destiny on their life. And they may be blind to it or they may have an inkling of it. But until the community of faith, by the power of the Spirit, begins to lean in with them and say, this is what I see in you. This is what God is saying about you. Most people don't lean in. We need courage. But here's why. Because oftentimes, every single person who's in the room right now has a destiny and has a call uh, from God. And oftentimes, right beside your destiny and right beside your call, the enemy always comes and he plants fear. The thing you're most... Oftentimes, the thing you're most called to do is the thing you're most afraid to do, initially. Fear is always there. Uh, in, in fact, what most of us need to do is we need to start, we need to start looking around in our life and find, uh, find the things that we're afraid of and, and, and use that as a map and a guidepost and start doing those things. Fear is almost always a demonic strategy to keep you from doing the thing you're called to do. Uh, sometimes, rather than being afraid and running away, we ought to find the place we're afraid of and lean into it. But one of the ways that we can actually lean into it successfully is by having the community of faith speak to us. Does this make sense? So prophetic ministry isn't, isn't mystical moogity-woogity, and it isn't Miss Cleo, and it isn't angry Old Testament prophets, and it isn't end-of-the-world maps. It is people with an ear to the Spirit who can declare over you who you really, really are, can build you up, give you courage, and in times of desperation, give you comfort so you don't give up. Who would like that? Yes. Yes. That's what we need. Amen? Now, the truth is, I could probably speak for another three hours just on prophetic ministry and give you the higher and the finer points, and I'm not going to. We're just going to do it. Is that all right? So we're going to do some demonstration here. I've got a couple friends, uh, Sammy and Stephen. Where are you at? There's Stephen. Sammy Joe, come on up. Everyone say hello to Sammy and Stephen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do, we're going to do a little demonstration for a few moments, and then after we're finished with demonstration... We're going to give a chance for some other people in the room to enter in. We had a ball first service. It was just, wasn't it fun? Yes. We're going to do, some of us are like, I'm feeling really nervous. Dude, the good stuff is always nerve-wracking. Right? First time you kissed a girl, it's like. But then you went home, you're like, yes, come on with that, I'm made for that. Like, the good stuff is always nutty. The good stuff is always crazy. First time you rode a roller coaster, you got off of that, and you went back and did it again. You didn't care that you had whiplash. Oh, I do want to say one more thing before we demonstrate. Um, Every single person in this room is not just a soul and not just a body, but you're a spirit as well. What this means uh, is that you are a triune being who is perfectly equipped and able to do spiritual stuff, what we would call spiritual gift stuff. Everyone in here has the capacity to be a prophetic person. You are a prophetic person. You've never not been a prophetic person because you were born with the Spirit. It's really weird. Everybody's here in this room right now, right? It's not a trick question. You are here. You are here physically, but Paul says in Ephesians that you are seated with him in heavenly places right now. How's that work? I don't know, but it has something to do with the fact that you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit, and you can be two places at once. I know this sounds really strange. Get with me because it's going to get weirder. You were perfectly designed and constructed to hear the voice of God and to speak, to speak prophetically over people. You were 
perfectly designed and created. You were formed and functioned. You could never not be perfectly designed and created to do this stuff. And the other thing I want to say is this. Uh, One of the reasons that we have a hard time with some of this stuff that we're about to do is because we have broken the world down into natural and supernatural, and that's just garbage. Uh, Prophetic ministry is not supernatural. Uh, Healing is not supernatural. Praying for the sick and seeing them be made well is not supernatural. Um, seeing, uh, Seeing people who have Uh, uh, diseased bodies get prayer and get instantly well that is not a supernatural moment Uh, seeing uh, seeing dead people come back to life that is not a supernatural moment that's just normal here's here's i need to frame this for you just a little bit because this idea of natural and supernatural actually keeps us from believing and stepping into something because as soon as i say supernatural the thing that hits everyone's brain is impossible no no So let me flip it on its head for a second. Let's talk about natural. Uh, Who in here has ever witnessed a childbirth? Anybody? All right. No. No. And it came from a little kid, and we're we're pleased with that. How many of you understand that, that childbirth is totally natural? It's been happening billions upon billions of times. Probably somewhere around 14 billion people have been born into this world in the course of human history. How many of you understand that there's nothing more common, normal, or natural than childbirth? And how many of you understand at the very same time it's a freaking miracle? Every single time. After 14 billion times, it's still a miracle. I got four kids. The fourth time, I was more freaked out than the first time. What's the point? The point is, this idea of natural and supernatural is, in, is ultimately garbage. It's ultimate, like it, the, the fact that the universe works, it's unbelievable. Like the fact that stars hold planets in orbit and that we live here and we breathe air and fish have gills. Like the fact that you could eat an animal and it could keep you alive and that a plant could make you happy. I mean, like, <laughs> try this one on. Try this one on. How many of you know that you get vitamin D from the sun? What? What? Like an essential nutrient from living is in the air. It's not even in the air. It's, it's in these little waves of light. That's crazy. It's totally natural, but it's a miracle. So let's get rid of this idea of supernatural. It's garbage. It's totally garbage. It ultimately just keeps you from believing that God is in you and wants to do something. Does that make sense? All right. So I've asked these people... Uh, to give some prophetic words, and here's what they're going to do. They've probably picked a few of you out this morning. Uh, we, we have no intention of embarrassing anyone, but they want to speak to you, upbuilding, edifying, encouraging, comforting, strengthening words. Is that okay? If anybody doesn't want to get one of those, get out of the room right now. <laughs> and we won't even care. No, it's okay. All right, um, Stephen, you can go first. Jay, your name's Jay? Yeah. Okay, that's all. Anyway, I had a Stephen did not get that prophetically. No, he already knew. I've met him. <laughs> all right. A couple of years ago, I had a dream for a person who is actually a mentor in my life. And it was a dream of seeing him reconcile people like a prodigal son and watching him pull people from low places into the promised land. Mm. And... This morning, whenever I first seen you in the cafe, the Lord put that image back in my head, and he said that you have a reconciliator's heart. 
And that as far as you feel like you've been away from the Lord and as far as you feel like you've been reconciled twice, so you'll reconcile people into the promised land. Mm-hmm. And we just want to bless it over your heart. Mm-hmm. The things that you're going to lay your hands to are going to bless people twice, so what you've been blessed. Mm-hmm. Jay, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. you could feel it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You're a reconciler, Jay. Come on, in the way that you've been reconciled, you'll reconcile. Yeah, in the way that you've been pulled out of the flames, you're going to be pulling people out of the flames. Amen. Amen. Isn't that fun? All right, Stephen, you got anything else? I just forgot your name. Dick Salmon. <laughs> it's, listen, it's harder being up here. It's a little different on this end of the lights, it's, isn't it? It's a little different. There's a bunch of eyeballs. Just take a deep breath. Oh, yeah. Dick Salmon. The Lord this morning actually showed me a few things for you. He's actually been showing me things for you for a few weeks. But the one thing that I heard this morning is that you laid a great foundation for this body and for this church, and that you laid a great foundation for the youth. And you also laid a foundation that is easily built upon and easily expanded. And I also heard the Lord say that you will see every promise that he's ever offered you. You will see every single promise that he's laid his hand to in your life. And we bless that. And we say the things that you've laid your hands to will grow twice. They'll grow twice fold what you've planted in. Mm. Like the things that you've planted, you'll see the fruit of, but also the generations that go before you will see twice the fruit. Mm. Amen. Amen. Does that make sense, Dick? Okay. Great. Sammy, your turn. Singred, I, um, as soon as I look over at you today, um, I just heard the Lord say that you're like a dove. Um, and he's also ascended on you like a dove, and he's really pleased with you. And he also um, is just going to give you an overload of peace in every area of life, in family, friends, career, whatever it is. Um, but the Lord's really just going to just give you peace with each decision. Like peace is going to be the answer. It may not be a loud voice, but it's going to be peace. So, um, yeah, just bless you with that. So that make Chris- sense? Yep. Good. <laughs> Good. And Christina... Um, I just, I keep seeing you as an oak tree and I feel like that, um, even more than, you know, you are a gatherer and you are a shade for a lot of people. Um, and I feel like that that's just a, even a new season, maybe the Lord's going to be bringing you into where that you're going to be able to see the fruit of the people that you're providing shade for. Um, and it's going to, it's going to be really great and your roots are really, really deep. And so I just, just want to speak that over you, that you're a gatherer and that, that you're a, you're a mother and that you're a shade for a lot of people. Stephen, does that make sense? All right. Go for it, Stephen. Yeah, in the back, in the middle, in the black shirt. Yeah. Yeah, what's your name? AJ. AJ. What up, AJ? Man, this morning, walking back and forth behind you, every single time. <laughs> yeah. AJ, I can assure you that's less creepy than Stephen yeah, just made it sound. Didn't mean that creepy. Every, every single time I walk past you this morning, I actually seen the Lord standing behind you, and I actually seen like the Lord's ribs open up, and you were actually in the Lord, and the Lord was in you, and you actually carry a spirit that is going to go into the community of people that you know, and you're going to lay your hands to things and show people the love of the Lord in a way that they've never known, in a way that maybe you've never known to date. You're actually going to begin growing in now. And we bless it, and we just say the things that you lay your hands to will be the things that the Lord has always had as a desire on your heart, 
So the places that you desire to see, the Lord is actually going to lay on your heart, and you're going to go into your community, and you're going to lay that desire in other people. AJ, I also feel like that there's an evangelist call in your life, uh, and it, and it may, may, not, may or may not have anything to do with being like some kind of upfront church preacher, but there is a, there is a, uh, a thing, even in your voice, and even in who you are, uh, where people are gathered. Uh, really what I see around you right now is I see just like a moth gets attracted to a light bulb, I feel like you're just this person who has, you have this attraction. People come to you. I feel like you're, that you're a man who has gravity, and people just they, just, they just come to you. And, it, and it's part of this, uh, this thing that the Lord's given you. What I really see even now as we're just talking about it is I see like the Pied Piper. I feel like the Lord's given you a song. I feel like he has something in your voice. And I feel like you're just this evangelist. And the Lord has a generation of people that he is giving you to lead out of darkness and to, and to lead into light. And I feel like the Lord is going to start talking to you about, um, about living in the light and not that you aren't, you, you are, but about living in the light and how to, how to begin to even talk to other people about living in the light and, and meeting people where they are. I feel like the Lord is just, you're going to meet people where they are. You're going to meet people. You're just going to meet people over and over and over again, divine appointments. And I also feel like the Lord wants, is going to give you a mentor, somebody who can uh, raise you up and who's going to train you. I feel like you've been trained, and I feel like this is a season where you're going to get a new mentor, somebody, an, another father and another mother in the faith. Somebody who's going to take you under their wing and show you some stuff and give you access to things you just didn't have access to before. Does that make sense? All right. Amen. 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 Um, Olivia, I just, uh, since this morning, first time I saw you in first service, um, I, I started seeing, like, um, have you ever played dominoes? You know, the way, like, you hit one and all the other ones, the domino effect. Um, I saw that uh, with you in Campbellsville. I saw you going down, like, different streets in Campbellsville and being like, this neighborhood, I want this neighborhood to know the Lord. And you just started going for it. And it was a domino effect in Campbellsville, though. And it it affected, like, I mean, areas and neighborhoods that aren't really touched. Um, And I saw you breaking off just the poverty mentality in places Mm. in our town. Um, And it was... It was through you doing just the everyday natural stuff, but it just came along with you. And also, I feel like that you may be in a season where that the Lord is closing some doors and opening some doors, um, but that it's going to come with peace, and it's going to come with just you saying yes to Jesus in every situation. Um, but that it's it's a new day, and it's it's new new places are being opened up for you. Um, and it's going to feel like home wherever you are too. I kept hearing that word that you're not going to have that ache in your heart to be home, mm. that it's going to feel like your home anywhere you are. Mm. Um, so yeah, mm. that makes sense to you. That's good. Does, uh, that make, does that make sense, Olivia? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Isn't this fun? All right. Hey, I know I've got another question. Uh, who in here has never, ever received a prophetic word, kind of like what we've been doing here for a moment, but you'd like to any, any brave soul? Right here, you never have? All right, anybody else? You girls? All right, cool. Yeah, you? All right, uh, you four. Y'all, y'all care to be guinea pigs and come up? Come on up. If it's, if it's not embarrassing, come on up. Everyone say hello. All right. We're going to go one at a time here real quick. Uh, what's your name? Celeste. Celeste. Awesome. Why don't you come right over here, Celeste? We're going to do something really fun, and we're going to pray for 15 seconds. And River, why don't you come over here? And Stephen, why don't you come over here, Sammy Joe? Uh, Celeste, is it okay if they just lay their hand on your shoulder? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. 
Jesus, thanks for Celeste. Thanks for bringing her here this morning. We just thank you for her life, uh, that she is your daughter. We appreciate her. Lord, would you give us words of encouragement in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all have anything for Celeste?